This is Stand Up For The Truth. Educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's word and truth. The man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You can't handle the truth! Now, here's the host of Stand Up For The Truth. Mike LeMay. Unashamed of the gospel and seeking the eternal truth of God in his word. Good Tuesday morning, David Fiorazzo and Mike LeMay. Welcome to another edition of Stand Up for the Truth. We're going to cover some tough news topics. We're going to give you some provocative opinions. You have a job to do. You have to take everything you hear on this show. In fact, everything you hear everywhere to the word of God. It is our only source of eternal truth. And our good, our good friend David Fiorazzo is going to open us in prayer this morning. Lord God, thank you for giving us another day and another opportunity to serve you and to live and bear fruit for your kingdom and show ourselves to be your disciples. And we pray that your will would be done in our lives, in our community, and Lord, even in our country, whatever it takes to bring people to you, Father, and uh, help us to uh, just just uh, be strengthened in our faith that we might be able to deal with what might be coming down the road and uh, encourage us, Lord, with that eternal perspective and teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom for these times and uh, help us to speak your truth boldly, but yet with love and compassion. We lift up this hour to you. We pray that people would be pointed back to your word and, of course, to our God and King, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Our topic today, the continuing march to globalism. The Bible is clear on what lies ahead, nations and peoples gathering in defiance to God and his word. And for centuries, probably every generation has wondered if theirs would be the one to see the return of the Lord. So what is different about the times we live in these days? Are there unmistakable signs that the world is about to unite in this defiance against God, leading to the return of Jesus Christ? You know, Jesus said we would know, we would not know the exact day of his return, but that we could discern the season of it by observing carefully. Well, joining us this morning is a man who has studied globalism and written books about the coming one world government and religion. Gary Kaw, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Hey, it's good to be with you, Mike and David. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, Gary. Let's take a look, uh, Gary, first at the United States. You know, we know the Bible says one day, all humanity, there will be one world government in defiance of God. Historically, I think we look at the United States as an impediment to that. We're a very free people. Lately, we've seen the federal government taking more and more control away from states and municipalities. Um, isn't this kind of a precursor to what we would call global uh, governance and globalism? Uh, well, it certainly is. Um, you're right. Throughout our history, though, uh, the United States, because of a strong Christian ethic uh, and foundation that um, many of the people, a majority of the people at times, uh, drew from, um, I think all the way up until the early 1900s, uh, America, although it had its share of, of problems and, and uh, cults being birthed here, especially in the late 1800s and so forth, the preponderance of the population operated under a Christian ethic. If they weren't born-again Christians, they at least respected the principles of, of Christ, and, and um, our system functioned in a, in a lawful type of fashion. Um, beginning after World War II, uh, especially with uh, the founding of the United Nations, uh, there 
began being much more of a focus on globalization. And it's interesting, uh, the first big step was the League of Nations, and it was, of course, headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland, and the United States did not join the League of Nations. So the second time around, um, the United Nations was birthed in its place, and it was put on American soil, hoping that the American people would go along with it because they would feel that they are more in control of the situation. And I think that's where a big part of this uh, modern deception began. And then right on the heels of, of the United Nations, uh, you had the World Council of Churches come on the scenes and uh, beginning to promote um, a, a false type of unity. Uh, today, it's really, it's beyond just bringing uh, the denominations together. It has now shifted more toward an interfaithism that's being promoted uh, by various groups that uh, feed into the World Council of Churches. So both from a spiritual, a political, as well as an economic uh, standpoint, uh, you know, this hasn't all happened overnight. This has been over about the last 60, 70 uh, years that we've had a gradual drift toward uh, globalization, and in the last 10 or 15 years, it's it's gone quite rapidly. Uh, since the year 2000, really, that was kind of a launching point where uh, many of the organizations uh, promoting this agenda felt comfortable in beginning to go public with it. And um, so it shouldn't surprise us. The rest of the way, I think it's going to be a real battle. You're going to have uh, a leftist socialist agenda promoting uh, globalization and, and global unity, and they're going to make all the uh, good-sounding arguments for why we need to come together as a world, as one. Uh, but they're going to leave out all of the critical questions that we need to be asking ourselves. Um, one of them is what happens to checks and balances. If you put the entire world under a single global regime, then what happens if that regime turns out to be bad? You know, there's no place left to run to or to hide. Uh, from a military standpoint, what military power would be able to pose a global regime if everything is under one umbrella? And then there's also the uh, global taxation. Somehow another layer of government, uh, international in nature, will have to be funded. So we'll have to pay higher taxes to fund such a government. Uh, and finally, uh, you've got um, the whole spiritual issue. Where are these people who would be leading the coming world government? Where are they coming from spiritually? And we know that um, the word Lucifer, the name Lucifer, has been used a lot in those circles. And I know people think, oh, this is crazy. No, seriously. When you do the research and you look at how often the name Lucifer is mentioned in a, in a good way, um, as being the god of light, the source of truth, uh, many of these people have turned the truth upside down. They view the god of Christians as being the bad god, and Lucifer as being the good god, the light bearer. And, and, and so... You know, we need to ask ourselves what would happen to Christians under such uh, a regime. They'd be forced into compliance, or else they'd be severely punished and ostracized. So all of this um, uh, lines up with what Scripture has said will happen in the last days. And things are going to become more difficult for Christians. The world as a whole will increasingly reject the truth and reject Christ and, and turn truth on its head. And what just a few short years ago was considered evil will be considered good, and what was good is going to be considered evil. 
And we're seeing that very clearly now already, that transition mm-hmm. being made. I think uh, both of you gentlemen would agree with me on that. Yeah, we're seeing Isaiah 5.20. We're seeing Romans chapter 1. Where these are the days of Noah. We're seeing Second mm-hmm. Timothy chapter 3. And yeah, globalism is, uh, you know, it's not surprising, this uh, growth we, we've been seeing. And, and studies have been showing us that people, particularly under 30, they're viewing Marxism and globalism favorably by wider margins. Now, Gary, is this partly due to how we have failed to teach accurate history to our children? Or what do you attribute that to? Well, I, I think we fell asleep at the wheel. Um, you know, during the early 1900s, late 1800s, uh, the public schools were doing overall a, a pretty decent job in educating kids in the basics. But uh, after World War II especially, actually it began before that in a, in a smaller way, but by World War II, um, there was a lot of social engineering going on in our schools. And they got away from the basics and really mm-hmm. began to uh, try to take our kids in a whole different uh, direction. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when parents began losing a grip. And they didn't realize it right away until a full generation had grown up under that system. And then we saw the consequences in the 1960s. And then it was about the mid-70s before uh, a, a group of Christians began to get serious about it. And really wasn't until the 90s that uh, a larger number began waking up. And um, and now people are up in arms, Christians are, but we're a minority, you know, in our own country mm-hmm. uh, that was founded on Christian principles. And uh, it, it's the old um, example of putting a frog into a kettle. You know, you, you turn it up slowly enough and the frog doesn't jump out and, and, and uh, boils to death in it because it, it just doesn't, sen- it doesn't sense the, the gradual uh, heating up. And, and I think that's what has happened, really. Uh, there have always been some parents who've understood wisely the situation and have tried to counter um, uh, any of the evils that their kids are being taught in, in schools uh, with sound scriptural teaching at home. Uh, we've seen a whole movement, you know, the homeschool movement and, and Christian schools. And so there is, a, there is a, a good, solid grouping of people in our country who do get it, who are awake, but they're, they're a small minority, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, Gary, we, we all speculate as to what this final one-world religion might look like. I think it's humanism. I think it's the belief that man is at his essence good and capable of getting better on his own, and I think that's what's going to unite the world religions is humanism, the belief in humanity. And we have something, this New Age movement, that's uh, just everywhere these days and really even infiltrating the christian church the dangers of new ageism for christians just explain a few of them for us well uh you're you're absolutely right in your assessment um but i would add the humanism um eastern mysticism which is really just a a form of humanism if you think about it. it's spiritual spiritualized humanism uh it adds this supernatural uh quality to it but man is at the center um, in pantheism, which of course is the core religion of uh, most of the Eastern isms, including uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, so forth, uh, it teaches that all living things put together, the sum total of all living matter, is God. And therefore, we as human beings are part of God. And, um, uh, you know, the oldest uh, deceptions that Satan used against Adam and Eve were eat of this fruit and you shall never die, you shall be as gods. Well, that's the core essence of, of Hinduism. Uh, 
the reincarnation cycle. You just keep coming back. You never really die. And uh, eventually you become like a god. You become uh, uh, an enlightened one, um, a spirit guide that's worthy of helping to guide the affairs of mankind. And they believe that um, the New Agers, many of them believe that by going into an altered state of consciousness, or simply put, a trance, uh, you can communicate with these beings who will then guide your life. And these beings are nothing more than demons, but uh, these people have been uh, deluded into uh, believing that they are former human beings who once walked the earth, but who are so advanced now uh, through the reincarnation cycle that they can communicate to us in ways that we cannot yet uh, understand. Um, they're simply advanced beings in their thinking. And uh, so the, the that's kind of the, the essence of uh, Eastern mysticism in uh, strict humanism, uh, of course, they don't believe in a spiritual element, but yet they stumble into it as well without even realizing it sometimes. You'd be amazed in, in places like Russia and France and, and the Czech Republic where there's a, a high percentage of atheists. Many of these people have been dabbling with, with uh, hypnosis and self, self-hypnosis even. Mm-hmm. And after doing it for a period of time, sometimes they will have experiences where they communicate with these beings and uh, the only explanation they, ha- they have for their existence is, it- is that they must be extraterrestrials. Because if life evolved here, then who's to say life didn't evolve somewhere else and it's more advanced than we are, and therefore these beings can communicate to us in ways that we cannot yet uh, understand. And so you have humanists, atheists, if you will, in some of these countries having the same spiritual experiences uh, but the explanation that Satan is giving for them is different because he's willing to approach people wherever they're at uh, in their thinking. Uh, he's a master deceiver. That's what he does. So if he has to come across with his demons as being extraterrestrials uh, to an atheist, that's what he'll do. Uh, to a New Ager or pantheist, uh, he'll come across as being uh, a spirit guide, you know, an ascended master. Um, to people who have somewhat of a Christian background, and dabble in the occult and have one of these kinds of experiences. They're going to believe that these beings are angels helping to guide them. Um, and in Catholic circles, they're going to think that they're patron saint or Mary. Uh, you know, so many uh, Catholics believe they're hearing directly from uh, uh, one of the patron saints or, um, or Mary herself even, uh, giving them guidance. All of these are deceptions. They're all coming from the satanic realm. And... Um, it, it, this is happening on such a wide scale now that I honestly believe there are more people in the United States uh, involved in the occult, either on the fringes of it or hardcore, than there are born-again Christians. And that was not the case 50 years ago, but it is today. And you're absolutely right. I mean, one example, I mean, uh, what, what was the, the author's name? J.K. Rowling just came out with, and, and it wasn't even a book. She came out with a, um, a stage play, play script right. called mm-hmm. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. It sold two million copies in the first two days. And so, Gary, we understand it's not surprising that the world and our society would would go this direction and fall for this. But when it starts seeping into the Christian church... It's, it's got to start with a dumbing down of the gospel and re- replacing the absolute truth and the inerrancy of Scripture with subjective truth and morality. And how much of a danger is this, and a, where do you see this headed? Well, it's a huge danger. Uh, there are so many 
self-proclaimed prophets out there uh, making predictions um, that aren't Bible-based. Um, I remember I was at a Bible prophecy conference. This was a few years back, and one of the uh, teachers there said if Christ, when he returns, comes back for just a, a small minority of people, then he has failed. And he's not going to do that. He's going to come back for a majority. Uh, a majority of the world's going to em- embrace Christ and get saved between now and then. And I thought to myself, really? what Bible are you reading? Yeah. You know, that, that's the opposite of what the Bible, the picture the Bible paints for the last days. Um, all you have to do is read Revelation chapter 13 of 14, uh, Matthew 24, especially where, really, I, I believe that was uh, written specifically for the end times church. Uh, when you look at it, the warnings of Jesus focus on um, falsehood uh, coming forth in the name of Christ. Uh, people speaking in his name but not being sent by him, false prophets, false Christ. It's throughout uh, that chapter. And, um, and again, in, in, like I said, in Revelation chapter 13 and 14, you've got Christians being persecuted because of their faith and, and uh, pretty much the whole world being against them. Um, and in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it also talks about the lawless one, uh, taking his stand, and nothing stops him until the actual return of Christ, um, who puts an end to him. Um, so we have to know what the Word says uh, to be able to discern whether people are speaking the truth or not. And the problem today is we want to hear, when I say we, America as a whole wants to hear uh, certain things that tickle their ears. Mm-hmm. We want to believe the good times are just going to keep rolling and, and nothing's going to change. Every day's a Friday. And, yeah, <laughs> and, and a false unity and peace. You know, that sounds attractive to people. Mm-hmm. Let's just all get together and have world peace and unity, and, and um, uh, that's what the emergent church movement is all about. And it has uh, really gotten far into all the mainline denominations and, and now has crept into uh, the evangelical churches and um, I think a big part of the problem, too, I just want to say this yet, um, and we've talked about this in the, in the past, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir on this, but our, our uh, Christian seminaries just have, have gotten to be a huge problem. Uh, most of them, I would say. There are a few good ones left, but for the most part, uh, they're taking uh, students, future pastors, right to the brink of interfaithism. And I have had friends that went into college being vibrant believers, uh, defending their faith fairly well, and after sitting under the teachings of several professors, they come out believing that yeah, it's, it's possible to be a Buddhist and be saved. Uh, there are other pathways to God. And the moment you believe that, you're no longer a Christian because you've rejected the uniqueness of Christ and His shed blood on the cross as being the only bridge between us and, and God the Father. Um, and if all these religions are pathways to God, then Christ came and died for nothing. Um, I mean, if you really begin to think about it, you cannot uh, believe and accept an interfaith worldview and still call yourself a Christian. Uh, You're not a Christian anymore at that point. So we've got uh, young people coming out of seminaries, uh, becoming pastors of churches, and they're not even Christians. And I would say, if not a majority of them, close to a majority of them would fit into that category now. Exactly. Um, 
And you know that infiltration of the seminaries comes right out of the Communist Manifesto. Our guest this morning, Gary Call, 1-800-979-9010. You can also email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. When we come back, there's a New Age event attracting some professing Christians called Burning Man, and we'll discuss that. If you want to contact us about any of the topics discussed today, email your questions to comments at standupforthetruth.com. You can also call your questions in on the queue lines, 1-800-979-9010 nationwide. Stand Up For The Truth will continue in a moment. This is Stand Up For The Truth. Call in your questions now at 1-800-979-9010 nationwide. Now back to Mike LeMay. Our guest this morning is Gary Kahn. By the way, if you have not uh, read his books written back in the early 1990s, one of them in route to global occupation, I highly encourage you to look them up and get copies. They're uh, just excellent. Gary, there's an event that has really become a phenomenon to even uh, to many people, even Christians. It's called Burning Man, and I was doing some research on it yesterday. And the Burning Man 2016, within 30 minutes, it was sold out. I mean, 30,000 people bought tickets within 30 minutes. What is this Burning Man? Uh, and you call it, you say many consider it, quote, a Petri dish for postmodernism. Well, it's, it's a, a big annual event that takes place out in the desert um, in Nevada. And um, it's just a rebellious time where people go and, and do anything they want to do short of killing each other. I, I mean, literally, it, it's just a... Um, a, a very godless, pagan type of, of setting. People come from all different kinds of religious beliefs and do whatever they want to do. But it's it's me first. It's man on the throne, uh, ultimately. So it comes right back to the humanism that we've been talking about. Um, but you'll have uh, a number of people in, in one part of the setting. It, it, first of all, it becomes like a little village, a, a tent city, a makeshift city out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, you've got uh, people in, in one area uh, that will walk around completely naked for the week, you know, and, and you'll have other people uh, get bombed out of their minds and others doing drugs, and it's just, uh, you know, a place of lawlessness and celebrating the complete freedom of the human spirit to do whatever you want to do. Basically, you're your own god in that setting. And um, uh, if, if they had room for 100,000 people, uh, it would be sold out just as fast. Um, th- that's where our nation, unfortunately, is headed. Uh, that's not the only event uh, like that. There are others as well, but it's it's the biggest and the best known. Uh, we put out a calendar of, of global events every <clears throat> January that deals with various New Age pagan meetings that are coming up over the uh, following year to give people a heads up. Uh, and sometimes they're held in, in people's own, practically their backyards, and they didn't even know about it. Um, here in Indiana, where we live, uh, there are a couple events that take place, and, and only about 30 miles from where I'm sitting right now, um, there's a, a place where you can go in. Uh, it's called Camp Chesterfield, and there are these little houses, just small houses, maybe 20 by 20 feet, and out in front of them, there will be a sign uh, naming the person who's in there and what their specialty is. 
uh, in front of one little house will be the name of a person who reads tarot cards, another one a crystal ball gazer, another one an expert on meditation, and on and on. And it's just a new age hub, and people fly in from all around the country to go to this thing. They even have a hotel on the premises. And um, that's right here in, in, you know, in Indiana, and it's only three miles from an evangelical uh, Bible seminary. And uh, so it's, it's not just out west, you know, in Nevada, California, uh, Colorado. It's, it's all over the country. And um, people are flocking to this kind of thing because they want to basically defy God and do whatever they want to do and be their own gods. And, mm. and any place that teaches that type of thing is is going to be more and more accepted today. Oh, no doubt. I was on your website yesterday, GaryCaw.org, and a couple articles really caught my attention, Gary, and I'd like to talk about them. The first one is global change in the Vatican. Now, we have a man, Pope Francis, who claims to be the vicar of Christ, and almost one billion people follow him. So what is this pope up to regarding global change? Well, really, from his first day in in, in office, um, he, he made clear that he was going to be pro-globalization. Uh, he got on board uh, with the climate change agenda uh, almost immediately. He's been towing that line. And for people who don't know it, that's probably the, the number one argument being used by globalists who favor world government. They're saying we have to come together under a one-world system uh, in order to implement all the necessary regulations and laws to save the planet. And uh, in my opinion, it's a huge deception because no matter what we do as humans, if we did everything humanly possible, we could only affect 3 to 5% of climate change. That's it. In other words, 95% uh, is going to happen no matter what we do. And so it's, it, it, these are opportunists who are using climate change as one of their arguments for why we need to have global government. And this current pope is is right in there with uh, the leading figures in the world promoting that agenda. Uh, he also has been uh, acting, behaving like an interfaithist, uh, pushing global unity of, of the religions. He's had a number of meetings along those lines. He's been meeting with uh, leading Muslim figures in Rome. I mean, they're actually traveling to Rome to meet with him. Uh, recently, uh, the grand imam of Cairo's Al-Azhar Mosque, uh, whose name is, I'm trying to think uh, what his name is, it'll come to me, uh, uh, one of the leading uh, imams in the world. Some believe he's the top figure of, of Sunni Islam. And um, he met with the Pope, and they're talking about a world peace plan uh, that involves dividing Israel in two. His name's Ahmed Al-Tayyib. It's a mouthful. Ahmed Al-Tayyib. Not something you wake up every morning with that on your tongue. But <laughs> Ahmed Al-Tayyib, uh, he's considered the leading authority in, in uh, Sunni Islam. He has met with the Pope. And uh, they're expecting sometime this fall, if not next year, there being a major meeting uh, in the Middle East uh, with some top Christian figures, the Pope being right in there, as well as Islamic figures calling for a two-state solution in Israel. And they're really turning up the heat on, on Netanyahu. And uh, if he turns this down, uh, he'll experience the full wrath of, of the Vatican and a lot of other global organizations around the world. But if he goes along with it, Israel will no longer have the necessary land to effectively defend itself if it is attacked. At one point toward the north, it would only be, I believe, eight miles wide. 
Um, I mean, Israel would be foolish, you know, to give up strategic land for peace. It's never worked in the past. It won't work this time, but they're under so much pressure from the rest of the world. So we really need to be praying for Netanyahu and and those in his inner circle on that. Um, But back to the Pope, um, he uh, also has, um, I I believe, caved in on the whole LGBT uh, issue. Uh, by some of the things that he has said. So he's the fashionable pope. Young people love him. He's being called the people's pope. And um, he, he, he holds all the right positions to uh, appeal to the current generation that doesn't want to have any moral absolutes. Uh, he's also the first Jesuit pope ever. And it's interesting, back in the 90s, some Catholic friends of mine said they do believe that eventually a pope will endorse the New World Order and help to usher it in. But they believe that um, it wouldn't be the current pope or the next pope, it would be the one after that. And some of them also believe that he would be a Jesuit. Well, we're there now, it's that pope. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that's quite interesting that um, in in some of the conservative Catholic circles, they they even are very leery of, of this pope and the fact that he is a Jesuit. And ever since he's gotten in a few years ago, um, uh, there's been an even stronger focus on the Middle East than there was before, and he's pulling all the strings behind the scenes to try to get to some type of a peace plan. You've had Hillary Clinton, Tony Blair, other world leaders traveling through Rome, meeting with the Pope or uh, some of the leading Vatican officials on their way to and from Israel. And so I just want to give you a heads up on that, uh, that the Vatican is very much involved in these Mideast peace negotiations and also in favoring a global government system. So don't be surprised by what you see in the uh, months ahead. I think a lot of our listeners are up on that. They're uh, really seeing this this change, and it's uh, up to our Catholic friends what, what they're going to do with that information, what they see happening right before their eyes. And your article is phenomenal. It's Global Change and the Vatican. That's on your website, GaryCod.org. We've got that linked in today's post. But, Gary, I want to go back to an article you wrote earlier this year. We uh, shared it last month on StandUpForTheTruth.com about America's reckoning. And, it, again, we... we some of us are still scratching our heads over what you just mentioned earlier with all the excellent choices we potentially could have had running for president. It looks like it's going to be Clinton or Trump. Would you like to talk a little bit about America's reckoning? Yes, it really is a public projection of the inner spirit of our nation right now mm-hmm. that we ended up with these two people. Yes. Um, now, you know, Trump is saying he's a, he's a Christian, but if you look at his fruits over, you know, the last number of years, it's just hard to believe that he is. Hillary also claims to be a Christian, a Methodist, but she's been involved in, in trans-channeling Eleanor Roosevelt's spirit, believe it or not. I mean, she publicly stated that years ago. Some of the stuff that came out of her mouth back in the 90s is almost unbelievable, and she's wised up some. I don't think she's talking about it publicly today, but she's been in... New Age circles, New Agers lover, and um, so we have these two individuals uh, that lack spiritual discernment to a large extent, uh, who are now the choice that we have to choose from for president. Um, fortunately, now Trump has taken as, as his running mate uh, a Christian, a solid Christian, Mike Pence, 
um, and I'm hoping that he surrounds himself with some good people. If if I was Trump, I would name my cabinet well in advance so people have an idea of you know the people who are going to be around him advising him. Um, but on his own, um, you know, he's he's a businessman. He's he's not a, a, a person who. Um, necessarily understands, has the discernment to understand what to do and not to do on the international scene politically. Uh, but I, I will say this, I am praying for him, because for better or worse, he has taken up the mantle of the sovereignty movement in the United States. He's basically become Mr. Brexit of the United States, if you will. And even though he has been an internationalist in his business dealings, but it appears now he's um, wanting to put America first and looking out for uh, America's interests in the world. Um, but I, you know, last night we were kind of tongue-in-cheek uh, teasing with some friends of ours, and, and we were talking about the irony of, of the whole situation, and, and it is frustrating, you know, for, for Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I made the comment, I said, you know, if, if you cross Donald Trump up, your business might end up bankrupt, but if you cross up uh, Hillary Clinton, you might end up dead. <laughs> I think it it might be closer to the truth than we want to realize. Mm. But we, you know, most most people I know would not uh, have chosen either one of these candidates as their first choice. But it's it's where things are at now, and I do encourage people to vote uh, because if if you don't, uh, and then the other candidate uh, gets in, they could do more more damage than uh, you might think. Uh, You'll be complaining for the next four years, and so. Unfortunately, unfortunately, sometimes our choices are between uh, the lesser of the evils, and I would vote for the person who would uh, practice uh, making decisions that would be closest to lining up with our Constitution and keep us a free nation as long as possible so that Christians can practice uh, their faith. And um, uh, so with that being said, um, all of us need to prayerfully... uh, choose our candidate. We do indeed. You know, Gary, one thing you wrote about in in Route to Global Occupation was the reality of a shadow government. And I think a a growing number of people look at our choices and say, I mean, does it really matter sometimes? Because you've got this inner circle of power in Washington, D.C., that no matter who gets elected, these same people seem to stay around and pull a lot of strings. You're right. And uh, I met a, a a gentleman, I didn't meet him, I was at a meeting where he spoke. I was one of a couple hundred people who, who were there in Washington, D.C. at Fort McNair. And this guy was introduced. It seemed like the introduction went on forever because of all the different awards he'd received from the U.N. I didn't even know the U.N. gave out that many awards, but he'd received, seemed like, every one of them. And in the introduction, it was mentioned that he had served as a key advisor in every administration since Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, be they Democrat or Republican. And that was a real wake-up call to me, because I realized, not just he, but uh, so many other people, they're part of an establishment. I mean, they are entrenched in Washington, and they run many of the agencies, the federal government, and they stay in regardless of who becomes president. And that's why things keep moving in the same direction. And I will say this on on Trump's behalf. I I do believe many of those people see Trump as a threat, because they think he may enough crazy enough to really shake things up and... (laughs) And uh, and then I might be out of a job uh, in Washington, and and so these bureaucrats they don't like the possibilities that exist with with Trump. I mean nobody knows for sure what he'd do when he gets in, but it appears that he would 
shake some things up. And um, and so just yesterday, a number of establishment figures came out uh, against him regarding national security. And some of those people uh, have had a strong voice in, in government behind the scenes and in the defense industry and, and, and other industries uh, going back to the 70s. And um, so um, you're right, though. Uh, you've got a few thousand people in Washington, uh, many of them have been members of the Council on Foreign Relations and other, uh, generally speaking, pro-global, and, and they're protecting the status quo, which is a general trending toward uh, globalization. And so to have somebody uh, step onto the scene who's saying America first, who claims to be a nationalist and who would shake things up, they don't like that uh, at all. Uh, I, I'm frustrated by it. I'll tell you, years ago, I was asked to run as lieutenant governor of Indiana by one of the candidates um, considering a run for governor. And I had just gotten out of politics and uh, was working on writing a second book and felt that God called me to warn people about things to come that I learned of when I was in, in politics. you know. And But I, I really prayed about it for a couple of weeks and then felt that God was saying, no, um, I've got you doing what you're supposed to do. Don't get back involved, at least not right now. Uh, there's a, a, a tendency that I think all of us want to make a difference within politics, and I do encourage Christians to run if, if God leads you to do so. But what is disappointing is once you get in, there's so little you can do. You can do your best, but you just bump into a brick wall on every side, and it's because this establishment is so entrenched. Mm-hmm. And I got really frustrated very quickly. Um, even though I had a very excellent superior who I liked, and, and um, uh, he was very entrepreneurial, and, and we got to do things in, in, in government that normally you don't get to do. We weren't near as bureaucratic as most state governments are, and Indiana was kind of at the forefront of pioneering some, you know, some uh, new activities to bring in business and so forth. So that was refreshing. But at the federal level, when we had to deal with... Um, uh, people at the federal level, it was it was just ridiculous. All the regulation and red tape, and and you think no wonder nothing works. But you try to change it, and I'm telling you, everybody wants to defend their job and they're comfortable in it, and um, you know it, it doesn't change easily. You ne- you really need somebody who's going to go in there and and bang things around like a Donald Trump to to change things. So part of me. Even though I'm not crazy about Trump, I'm hoping if he does get in, he would bring about some legitimate change and, and uh, start at the top and, and, and work down, wait and see. Left and see. Well, it's interesting. I've heard someone say it uh, looks like this election, like most elections, come down to the choice between an unknown witch and a known devil. And it, it, seems, <laughs> it seems, Gary, that both sides, you've got the conservatives who are a little concerned about the unknown factor, about what Trump might do. And then you've got the left and the progressives that are concerned about the unknown and what Trump might do. What direction, if I know this is just speculation on our part or on your part, what direction do you think from what he's already spoken and maybe some of the past business dealings, what direction do you think he might lean? Well, right in line with what you said, I, I wrote in my newsletter article, I said, the bottom line is this, whichever candidate is hated the least by their own party will likely win the general election. <laughs> or to put it differently, whoever is hated the most will lose. And this is such a unique election cycle because you've got Republicans that can't stand Trump and you've got Democrats that can't stand Hillary. And it really comes down to, you know, um, 
which uh, party hates their candidates candidate the least. Um, we we don't know. This is we, I think with Hillary Clinton, we do know what we're getting because of her long uh, track record and the things that that she has done. Uh, there's been a lot of corruption there for a long time. Um, Trump, on the other hand, I don't believe is a crook. He just needs to watch his tongue. He's used to saying whatever he thinks at the moment, uh, whether it makes sense or not. And sometimes he's kidding. He's just using rhetoric. Uh, but once you're president, you, you've really got to put a lid on that uh, because you could start a war very quickly with a foreign country by saying something uh, inadvertent. And so he's got to become more measured. And I'm hoping that that Pence, who's who's a, a, a wise individual and, mm-hmm. and measured in his statements, that he can have a, a stabilizing effect on on Trump. Mm, indeed, it's going to be interesting. That much I can say for sure. Gary, let's uh, turn our attention to the economy for a minute. Um, you see nations on the verge of bankruptcy, including the United States of America. We we know there's going to be an economic shakeout. Does the United Nations currently have what it needs to step in and quote unquote rescue us from a global depression? No, the UN could not do it. They like for us to believe that they could do it. Uh, and they want to be there uh, when when we do hit a crisis and try to make the argument that, you know, now we need world government, we need to empower the United Nations further uh, so that it can become uh, a full-blown world government to save us from ourselves. Um, but I, I believe the U.N. is a giant bureaucracy. Um, it, it makes a lot of public statements, but when, when it comes to implementing something for our good, it's totally incapable of doing so. Um, so if the if the people of the United States and the rest of the world are deceived or manipulated into thinking that they have to go along with either the, an empowered UN or a completely different organization that could be based in Europe or the Middle East, uh, that would become the global government. Um, it will be a huge deception. Um, what they will be able to do if they have uh, the backing of the various militaries of the world that surrender their authority to the UN or another uh, global government entity, is they will be able to enforce complete obedience, or at least they, they, they will try. So whether it works or not isn't the question. The question is, are they going to be able to force it on us and make us uh, go along with it? And I think they will try to do that. Um, there are many foreign troops on American soil right now just as we have had troops overseas in Bosnia and other places under the banner of the United Nations. And the advantage for the U.N. of having foreign troops on American soil is if there is a crisis, they can give those troops orders, and they will be far more likely to obey those orders than um, if it is our own military on American soil. So I felt for a long time that part of the strategy of, of the internationalists is to get our militaries all all over the world to get as many U.S. Uh, servicemen in into as many countries around the world, but get get them out of this country and bring into the United States more and more foreign troops. Um, I think I mentioned this on a past program, as I recall, but uh, a number of years ago I was speaking in El Paso, Texas, and I met a young man who came up to me after the service because he spoke fluent German and he found out that I uh, speak German as well, and so we carried on a conversation. He was a believer. Uh, married to a young Hispanic uh, American gal, and uh, I asked him about you know what he does for his job, and he said he's in the military, and you know he sounded like he came from Germany yesterday. He had a thick accent, and I said the 
the, the U.S. military? He said, no, the German military. I said, oh, well, tell me about it. He said, yeah, he uh, works at an Air Force base just over the border in New Mexico, um, and there are a few thousand uh, members of the German Air Force that are stationed there. They have their own uh, air base. I had no clue. I, you know, I, I thought if I did, wouldn't have known better, I thought he was joking. Uh, but sure enough, and I said, why do they put it there? And he said, weather, uh, because the uh, ability to fly uh, uh, test missions and so forth is much better there, uh, better than anything they have in Germany. So our our government has agreed with other countries to allow them to come in here and do different things. And I know um, not far from here, just about an hour uh, in uh, southern Indiana, uh, we know of restaurant owners and people who live in that area that have had foreign troops from at least three or four different countries uh, come into their restaurants on a regular basis. And I heard an estimate once years ago of how many foreign troops are on American soil, and it really there's a wide range, so I don't know how accurate it is, but the range has been from 200,000 to 600,000. Hmm. Uh, my guess is it's on the lower end of that, but still you're looking at a, a huge number of foreign troops on American soil. So what I'm saying is if there were to be a crisis and a, a state of martial law were to be declared in this country, You've got a significant number of foreign troops that could be deployed through the U.N. Um, and given orders, and we'd have to wait and see if they'd actually carry them out. Uh, but our National Guards were put in place for local crises to manage them and do what they can, and those people are very loyal to the local audience. Well, it's interesting that over the last uh, number of years, uh, more and more uh, National Guard uh, troops have been sent overseas to engage in military activities that they were never intended for. So there are a lot of changes going on behind the scenes, and it's anyone's guess what would happen if there was such a, uh, a decree issued, a martial law situation. And so I've been keeping a careful eye on, on the election process, and, and uh, because things are really heated right now with the public protests that are going on, and I really hope, and I, I pray this doesn't happen, but if if it appears that Trump could actually get in and and things tighten up as we get into late August, September, and October, um, there there's a real possibility that there could be a um, an attempt on his life. And if if that happens, uh, heaven forbid. Um, and 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 when you look at the Black Lives Matter movement and and you know the hostility that that exists there, we're we're in a powder keg situation right now. It wouldn't take much for things to flare up, and it would be more than civil unrest. It'd almost be like more like a civil war situation. And again, I'm I hope and pray this doesn't happen, but I'm saying the potential for it is there, and. Um, uh, and then that could be used to uh, try to usher in a martial law situation, then all bets are off. Mm. And I know that many people are aware of this because as I've traveled around, it's one of the first questions I get asked. People are asking, it's the number one question I'm being asked right now, do you think there could be martial law in the next year? I'm thinking, wow, it's amazing how many people are you know, seeing that as a, at least a possibility. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to emphasize uh, one more time, all of the listeners... And you've got a, a, a large listening base in the upper Midwest. I would urge every single listener right now to seriously be praying over the next three to four months, all the way through into January until the next president takes his seat of power, that uh, 
God would, would intervene on behalf of our nation and that he would not allow a martial law situation to come about. And I think the only way uh, that he will uh, intervene in that way and, and hold that back is if there's a degree of repentance in our country and a turning back to the Lord. So uh, an, an even more important prayer is that there would be repentance and that people would see the light and, and turn their lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ and repent and get back uh, to the Bible and, and the truth of God's Word. And it needs to happen quickly. It does indeed, Gary. We've got about five minutes left. And, and again, the, the importance, uh, just talk to us again, the importance of understanding we are temporary citizens in this world. We're eternal citizens of God's kingdom. And the importance in these days of sharing and living the gospel. No, absolutely. Um, we don't know how much time we have on this earth, but while we're here, we are to be Christ's ambassadors. And if we don't share the truth, if we don't share the hope that we have in Christ and the fact that our eternal hope is really what it's all about, because in this world we're going to have troubles and tribulations till the day we die. Um, some of us have been more fortunate than others, but at some point in your life you're going to uh, face difficulty, and, and it's only once we cross over and we're in eternity with the Lord that we experience complete perfection and we get to be in his permanent presence and what a day that will be and it's nothing to be um, uh, sad about when you think about a death for the christian uh... it's just a graduation isn't it uh... to something far better Mm -hmm. and um, we need to be able to uh... proclaim that message and and um, uh... reach out to our family members our our neighbors people we work with not in an overbearing kind of way, but in a loving, kind-hearted way, and hoping that they will see enough of a difference in us, that they would want to become more like us. Uh, The more we reflect Christ, the more I believe, even in this current world situation, I believe there are still many who will be drawn to Christ. But if we have uh, an ineffective testimony and are hypocritical, people are going to run the other way as fast as they can. So that's the challenge for Christians, is truly every day when we get up to pray to the Lord that he would help us to represent him well, that we would be Christ-like that day in all of our reactions and our words that we speak and everything that we do. Amen. So that is a challenge. It is. Gary, uh, time for a real quick phone call. Good morning. Welcome to Standard for the Truth. I've got about uh, two minutes left with Gary. What's your question? Okay, good morning, Mike and Dave. Gary, uh, great to hear from you, just listening the whole hour. Uh, Really, what if you look around what's going on, uh, it, it, everything is being set up for total civil unrest and stuff. Do you see, and I talk to a lot of people who it just really troubles me because they don't understand what's actually going on in the country and how that connects with uh, Christian, true Christianity. And will the, do you see the tendency for the apostate church to flourish as things get bad and, and, uh, um, the true gospel is really what's needed, but um, the apostate church is really coming together more and more. Oh. So, good question. Thank you, Ron. Well, uh, yes, uh, to answer your question, yes, I do. Uh, the apostate church is not going to take any kind of a, a significant stand um, regarding uh, the truth of God's word, A, and B, uh, anything political that Christians ought to be taking a stand on. Uh, such as uh, freedom of speech and, and um, you know, this whole, uh, I'm going to step on some toes here, but the whole 501c3 thing, uh, the, the tax-exempt status of churches, 
I think that's going to be used against churches to try to intimidate them and and uh, keep them quiet on important issues. And I think the day is coming where uh, churches will be threatened uh, with the removal of that status if they take certain uh, stands on a number of different issues. That type of thing is already happening in other country, including in other countries, including Canada. And so expect that here in the U.S. And so people that are already prone. Uh, to compromise, they won't have a problem uh, compromising on, on that, whereas others won't compromise. They may have their church assets seized and taken away from them. I mean, that's what could potentially happen. And that's one reason it is important to get a candidate in there who, at the very least, will allow Christians to speak freely and, and have that kind of uh, uh, political and, and, and spiritual religious freedom. Mm. The website is Gary Caw, K-A-H, GaryCaw.org. I encourage you to check it out and consider signing up for his regular newsletter, a wealth of information, and always, as usual, pointing us back to the Word of God. Gary, thank you so much. God bless you and Audrey and all your children for all the work you're doing for the Lord. Excellent, Gary. Thank you. God bless you, too. Thank you. Gary Caw, we, we hope to check in with Gary on a regular basis. So Excellent. When we come back, we'll wrap up today's show and tell you about a very interesting guest tomorrow. If you want to contact us about any of the topics discussed today, email your questions to comments at StandUpWithTheTruth.com. You can also call your questions in on the queue lines, 1-800-979-9010 nationwide. Stand Up For The Truth will continue in a moment. We're getting ready to wrap up this edition of the show, but the discussion is just beginning. More info on today's topics and much more can be found on StandUpWithTheTruth.com. Now, here's Mike LeMay with some final thoughts. Always a very intriguing time with Gary Kaw. Yes. He's been writing about yes, this yes. stuff since the late 1980s, and you go back through his books and Route to Global Occupation and the coming One World Religion. And uh, I tell you, I, I just think it's evident the Holy Spirit's been on Gary and really revealing things to him. So, you know what? We do not have a spirit of fear, but we also... Paul says we have the mind of Christ. Mm -hmm. We should be able to see these things from God's perspective. And while we don't know the day the Lord will return, we certainly can know the signs of the season. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow we are joined by a man who is a former professional wrestler, and now he's an evangelist and biblical apologist, Carl Kirby. Phenomenal. Yeah. I only regret Carl won't be in studio because I'd like to see you and him have a wrestling match. <laughs> no, I, the, you. No. You. <laughs> Uh, not me. You're the man. <laughs> uh, we've had Carl up here in conjunction with the uh, Genesis Foundation of Wisconsin to speak mm -hmm. to youth and, and adults. And uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about a lot of issues. Again, New Age, creationism, Creation, and how, yeah. again, when we don't stay focused on the truth of the Bible, it gets us in all sorts of trouble. So we're looking forward to our time with Carl Kirby. Uh, Thursday, in our final segment, Ray Comfort who has a new book and DVD coming out. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be interviewing Ray about that. And uh, I believe the uh, teaser says, one question you can ask an atheist that he won't be able to answer, or something yeah. like that. So looking forward to that with Ray. Great work, both of them. And uh, Carl Kirby tomorrow. I met him a couple years ago at Freedom Project Academy in Appleton. Yep. Um, for a Camp Freedom event there. Did you wrestle something. him there? No. No, no he's no, a no. big guy. Yeah. Ooh, mountain of a man, as they say. So. Yeah, but the good stuff. I watched his video um, last month, I think, and it's just phenomenal. So I emailed him, connected with him uh, on social media, and, uh, um, you know, actually I said, uh, Nancy, we've got to get this guy back on the show. So. Yeah. 
I'm excited. And she did, so we're looking forward to it. Hey, we appreciate you joining us as we wrap up our sixth year on air. 1,500 shows uh, just about in the can now, and we appreciate all of you, your prayers, your encouragement, and even the times you question and challenge us. And we always want to remember, remind you, whatever you hear in this show is our opinion. The only place you're going to find absolute truth is God and his word, so know it understand it, and hide it in your heart for the days ahead. For David Fiorazzo, I'm Mike LeMay, standing up for the truth. We will talk to you in 23 hours. Be bold, strong, and unashamed of the gospel. The Lord your God is always with you.